With supply chain in the midst of this new abnormal, uh, business leaders are doing what they can to find funding and financial capability to fuel their growth. And while most discussions about the impact of cash have been on small and medium-sized businesses, larger companies are starting to join the conversation as well. This is leaving people who are practicing older policies to ask themselves, is there a better way? I'm Scott Leahy, and this is Esker On Air. Today, I'd like to welcome back Dan Reeve, uh, Director of Sales here at Esker North America, and new to the podcast, Vikas Shah, the Chief Revenue Officer from LSQ, to help explore innovative ways to increase access to working capital. So, Dan, Vikas, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Scott. Well, uh, first off, Vikas, I'm wondering if you can share a little bit more about LSQ, the work that goes on there, and, and maybe your role within the company. You bet. LSQ is a leader in working capital financing and payments. Uh, we are a finance technology platform company. We're headquartered in Orlando. We're about 150 people strong. We're focused on the U.S. market, especially helping companies that need access to working capital and financing. My role here at LSQ is predominantly focused on driving revenue growth for the company. I have responsibility across marketing, business development, sales, and customer success. Well, Vikas, it's a, it's a topic that we talk about a lot on the podcast here, but what trends are you seeing in the supply chain realm right now? And Dan, feel free to jump in as well. Yes, yeah, Scott, it's a fascinating time uh, with everything that's happening in the market right now. It's, it's really interesting to see what's happening in the overall market uh, when it comes to supply chain. Uh, the the key trends that we see in our business right now when we're interacting with you know, analysts, customers, partners, uh, the, 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 one, the one that stands out the most is that most businesses, despite how much cash or how strong their credit is, uh, they all want to hold on to cash as much as possible. So working capital and the need to improve and optimize for working capital is, is one of the biggest trends we're seeing uh, across the ecosystem. I think the next one would be uh, around companies not really able to effectively you know, manage terms and credit with their counterparties. Uh, we're seeing that to be a major trend that's picking up right now, uh, where we are helping a lot of companies essentially think about their terms and credit situation with their counterparties, whether you're a buyer or a seller. I think the third trend that we're seeing is a lot of companies are not publicly rated or they don't have a rated debt. Uh, so it's really hard for commercial lenders to kind of put their hands around the credit and risk situations of these corporates. So with our years of expertise, uh, you know, we are able to really help some of these companies, whether they're unrated companies or whether they are private companies, to really understand their financial situation, assess their credit situation, and come up with a value proposition that's very compelling in terms of helping those stakeholders optimize for working capital and credit. And the fourth one is just a general trend in the market in terms of how these companies are consuming liquidity and financing, which is the shift towards platforms that are really providing uh, these embedded finance capabilities at the point of consumption. And what I mean by that is that these stakeholders expect on-demand availability of financing and cash. They also expect ease of use and they expect faster time to market or fast, faster time to value. 
So we're seeing a general trend in the market where the fintechs are really expected to step up and provide that on-demand, you know, faster implementation, faster time to value kind of experience to these stakeholders. And, and that's really dominating the market in terms of our experience lately. You know, it's interesting, Vikas, because you, you mentioned their credit and risk and, and many of the um, procurement and finance leaders that we work with uh, really feel they're getting squeezed, like, like they've never been squeezed in recent times or maybe never before in their career. And, you know, last week I was talking to some, some, some leaders in this space and one of the things that came out is a lot of procurement folks can no longer sole source. We saw that, you know, throughout the last two and a half years, if you want to get goods and services, you may need to go out and expand your your the number of suppliers you work with but the, when you do that that often means you may be getting different credit terms and not so favorable credit terms that you you, you you've had with your sole source um, um, suppliers in the past so maybe what we're seeing is in some cases these suppliers are saying well you need to even pay us in cash or you need to pay us a lot faster to to sort of uh, um, get the goods and services that you need to remain competitive. So access to liquidity there seems to be a real need. And then I think the other thing we I was talking to Morgan Swink, who's the um, um, leads a, the supply chain group there at, at TCU uh, down in Texas. And, and they were describing how companies you know, uh, now are going on, a um, many are going on a, a journey where they're buying goods up they're actually investing in lots and lots of inventory to to get past the next shop but the problem with that of course is well you need cash to pay your suppliers and only uh, make sure you get your goods and services on time but now they're, they're they need liquidity to buffer these these, these um shocks and they're building up uh um they're building up stock and inventory so that's a lot of pressure i mean um and, and i'm hearing folks talk about the great resignation doesn't just apply to um, you know, staff in in junior positions. There's a lot of CFOs and chief procurement officers out there thinking, Oof, you know what? I've only got a few years left. This is really stressful. Maybe, maybe, maybe I can retire earlier. So I, I think there's some 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 challenging times out there from what we hear. Uh, I'm wondering if you could expand uh, a little bit too. Who would care about this most within a particular organization? Yeah. So depending on the size of the organization. Across the spectrum, I would say CFOs and controllers would benefit the most and would care about this the most. They have a very um, objective metric around preserving cash and optimizing for working capital, whether you know it's on the receivable side, whether it's on the payable side. And as Dan mentioned, you know, now more often than ever, also optimizing cash on the inventory side. We are also seeing a lot of uh, chief procurement officers care about this uh, more and more often. Um, Ten years ago, CPOs predominantly cared about cared about what's happening within their supplier base, but now CPOs also have a metric uh, that is accountable to not just the management team but also to the board when it comes to cash conversion cycles and how the company is doing on that metric. Uh, treasurers care about this as well. Uh, treasurers, depending again on the size of the organization, are responsible to manage cash, make sure the cash is deployed in the right investment vehicles, and they're essentially keeping an eye out for the overall cash position of a company when it comes to risk management. And then more lately, supply chain leaders, as they're thinking about the risk in their supply chain and the kind of investment they have to make 
to inject liquidity in their supply chains to make sure that the supplier base remains viable, uh, predominantly around providing all those commodities of goods and services to those organizations, more and more often now supply chain leaders are paying a lot of attention to this uh, broader working capital uh, topic. You might add something, Scott, which is, um, if, if the question is, well, who should care about this? Maybe this is something where a variety of folks within the enterprise should care. Gartner, they produced a report last week, the Digital Trends Report, and they said one in four staff in predominantly AP and procurement are burnt out and one in four staff are at risk of defecting. So one of the top challenges for CFOs right now is is is, is fighting that, that great resignation, retaining staff. And um, Gartner said, you know, 10% of the, the payables department plan to retire in five years too, which means even more folks are going to be uh, leaving and taking uh, like skills and experience with them. Then if you combine that with what Josh Shear, who's the executive director of the Institute of Financial Management, RFM, said, he said, look, if you want to keep and retain staff in the future, it's no longer um, a nice idea to turn accounts payable into a profit center. It's a necessity. He said, if you want to keep folks, if you want to um, recruit them even, you have to give them the type of work that allows them to do their deep work. And there's a book out there and then, you know, called Deep Work that, to allow them to use their very best human skills to really do the type of work that's enjoyable, impactful um, and unlocks working capital. So as 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 I sit here and, and, and talk with, or as we sit here and talk with the CAS, we're talking about really, you know, a, a enterprise class workflow solution combined with fin a fintech offering. But underneath all of that, what's really going on is, is I think is interesting where Josh Shear says, this isn't just about making your organization a profit center. It is also about helping your suppliers to be successful and paying them earlier and, and protecting those supplier relationships. But it's also really, really key. Let's not forget our staff. Because if, if you're asking them to do um, slow, laborious, frustrating processes, they don't stay. Or they might have stayed in the past, but they will not stay or they will not join in the future. Yeah, well, so based on all of that, this ball has to get rolling in some way first. How could someone best bring this up to their leadership team? You know, we always start with data. When, when we're talking to prospects and customers, we, we want to understand the transactional data, the data across their suppliers, uh, the terms, the spend that they have across their suppliers. So when we're talking to AP stakeholders, CFOs, controllers, chief procurement officers, you know, we usually start with that uh, because that becomes then the foundation of objectively building a business case for that stakeholder, empowering the stakeholder to share the business case with their peers with their colleagues and their managers and, and really build the strategic rationale for the company, why they should think about this, why they should invest in a project like this that would potentially benefit not only their immediate functions or departments, but potentially you know, drive massive amounts of value across the organization, across many different functions. You know, so so for us, it's, it's usually in partnership with our, uh, with our uh, partners here at ESCA, you know, thinking about the data, thinking about underlining what's happening with the business and getting our hands around that, and then working our way up, you know, from building a business case to getting strategic alignment across the company. 
Yeah, and, and thinking uh, a little more specific now, let's say that uh, I am working in AP and I want to raise this topic. Uh, how would I best describe it and bring that up? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. And we offer we often encounter a situation like that when we're talking to somebody in AP. Uh, perhaps uh, it's an AP analyst, perhaps it's uh, somebody who heads AP. You know, there are a couple of things that this individual can think about and socialize with uh, with their peers or with their managers. You know, the first question that comes to my mind is, you know, how is the organization doing on days payables outstanding? You know, that tends to be an important metric for most controllers and CFOs, but the AP professional is not really trained to think about that. But just asking that question can open up the conversation, you know, with their peers. The next question to ask really is, you know, is there financial risk in our supply chain? Uh, when the AP person asks that question in that manner, uh, it empowers the AP person to think beyond the mundane act of just making a payment or managing accounts payables. It empowers the AP person to think about, is there any kind of financial risk in our supply chain today? And is there something that we can do as an organization? Another way to think about this is asking the question, do any of our suppliers um, you know, need immediate access to capital? Are they certain suppliers that are strategic or certain suppliers that are extremely critical uh, to our business that needs attention that we may have not paid attention to or may have ignored uh, or probably don't really understand their financial profiles? So this could be an opportunity to you know, double click on those select group of suppliers and see if there's something we can do to help them. Another way to think about this is, you know, are we providing payment visibility to our suppliers, right? Uh, do our systems, our processes, uh, is that giving enough visibility for our suppliers to be able to manage their cash better? And if you're not doing that, maybe that's a great conversation starter, uh, you know, with peers and managers. And the last one is, this is my favorite one, which is, you know, we are shifting to a world where everybody needs flexibility and choice. Are we giving our suppliers maximum flexibility and choice when it comes to, you know, how they can pay, get paid and when they can get paid? And if as an organization, I'm not really thinking about that and giving those options to my suppliers, perhaps uh, we're not investing enough in our supply chain and not really building an organization that could be differentiated in terms of building revenue and growth for our company. Uh, so these could be great conversation starters. It doesn't have to be very complex or technical, but some of these questions can open up the conversation around the broader working capital management topic that we've been talking about today. And uh, Vikas, earlier you mentioned that uh, LSQ offers supply chain finance. Can you delve a little bit into what that is and, and how it's so beneficial? In simple words, you know, think about supply chain finance as providing liquidity credit and financing options on demand with maximum flexibility and choice to your entire supplier base. So imagine a mid-sized organization that has say 10,000 suppliers, imagine a large organization that has 10,000 suppliers. You know, you want to make sure that in today's world, you're doing the best you can to invest in your supply chain, especially when it comes to working capital and financing, because a lot of these suppliers might not have the cost of capital, might not have access to credit, might not have the ability to either meet payroll, manufacture the goods or service you as a customer. 
And you want to do everything you can to be able to understand who those suppliers are, whether they're small, mid-size or large, whether they're domestic or foreign, and whether they have any constraints in their financial situation. So, so in simple words, supply chain financing really is a business model for corporates to start investing in their supplier base to make sure that they have a range of financial services available uh, that are essentially sponsored by you, uh, sponsored by you as a corporate. Uh, and, and that provides multiple benefits for the suppliers. It gives them uh, it gives them access to liquidity at a much affordable cost of capital. It gives them an ability to mitigate customer credit risk. Uh, it gives them an ability to have a better relationship uh, with you as a customer. And for you as a customer, it gives you an access to suppliers that you may not have had access to previously. Or it also helps you forge not just better relationships with your suppliers, but also uh, in some cases could give you preferred buyer status. So I think uh, that's that's really what supply chain financing is. Um, there are many different methods in which you can do this. There are many different uh, techniques in which you can embed some of these capabilities. Uh, but at the highest level, what it really means is, you know, helping your su suppliers get liquidity and financing over the course of your relationship with them. You know, just last week when I was talking to the folks from TCU, one of the things they said, a trend they're seeing is banks are starting to be less willing to fund suppliers payables balances. So they're starting to sort of see that um, the access to the liquidity is tightening up um, and as interests are expected to increase, I guess the, the cost of borrowing is going to increase too. I think the other thing that's interesting is you talked there about visibility. And what, what finance leaders, CFOs um, share with us is that they are looking for, I, I almost view it as a cockpit, and they want to know about the risks coming from left and right, above them and below them, regarding both customers and suppliers. So if a customer is now a little bit more risky, they want to know about it so they can maybe tighten up the payment terms, engage in different conversations. If the customer is not as risky, maybe they can boost sales by uh, giving them more credit and therefore help the sales team to, to grow revenues. And as we've talked about here, risk is also about, well, let us know if any companies out there financially are struggling, or maybe we can help them through some um, supply chain financing, or if they've fallen foul of certain um, regulations, OFAC, for example, let us know that they could potentially not just hurt our cash flow, but maybe they could even impact our stock price or, or our brand. CFOs and lead, digital leaders nowadays are looking for visibility, I think, to be served up proactively um, as opposed to f reading about it in the news and then and then sort of struggling to backpedal. Yeah, Dan, that's a really good point. We, we're seeing that across uh, our ecosystem right now. I think helping suppliers increase sales uh, is, is is top of mind for a lot of suppliers. So um, that's, that's another benefit of uh, supply chain financing, where if these suppliers have better liquidity, better access to capital, they're able to increase sales, not just with that one individual customer, but across all of their customers and be able to manage um, the credit risk across their customer portfolio in a much more effective manner. Right. Well, LSQ uh, also offers dynamic discounting. Um, how does that differ from, from supply chain finance? Yeah, there are many definitions of dynamic discounting. The simple one uh, for the audience is think about dynamic discounting when the customer 
would want to use their own balance sheet to provide early payments and financing to their customers versus supply chain financing is when the customer uses somebody else's balance sheet. Uh, it could be LSQs or one of LSQs funding partners balance sheet to provide early payments and financing to its supply uh, to its suppliers. So that's the biggest difference. Um, and and I think a lot of customers, you know, are solving for one or the other. Some customers are solving for a combination. I think it really comes down to the strategic objectives of that customer, of that organization, when it comes to, uh, in some cases, the treasurer or the controller of that, com of that organization would want to solve for unlocking working capital, not using their own balance sheet, deploying a supply chain financing program, versus in some cases want to solve for optimizing for gross margin, would use their own balance sheet, provide an early payment program to suppliers in return for a discount, and that discount essentially hitting their bottom line, and thus the controller in that case is able to improve their gross margins. So it really comes down to the strategic objective of that organization, what they're really trying to solve for, but the predominant method or model that's prevalent in the market right now is supply chain financing, where you know most organizations, uh, as I mentioned earlier, want to preserve cash. They do not want to use their own balance sheet and want to use other third-party balance sheets to provide early payment and uh, financing opportunities to their suppliers. Dan, here's a question for you. So uh, Esker recently released a comprehensive set of payment capabilities called Esker Pay, uh, and that's going to allow customers to take advantage of payment tools uh, that have been previously mentioned. Um, what are some reasons someone should bring something like Esker Pay up to their leadership? Yeah, I think uh, numerous. I think if we if we focus on the procure to pay side, as I said, um, you know, folks there like Josh here are promoting the value and the importance of uh, freeing up the, the finance folks to go and do deep work. And it's really an opportunity to uncover more working capital. It's an opportunity for companies to grow in, and save money. And I think it's it's also rocket fuel for any company that is thinking about either um, going replacing a, 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 a solution, maybe a, a workflow or digital solution that's not really giving them the value that they need. Or if they're embarking on a journey, it's a way to significantly improve the uh, the uh, ROI model. And what, from what I've seen, certainly on the payable side, when, when companies begin to explore payment as part of the solution, as opposed to just bringing invoices in and getting them coded, approved, um, compliant. I like to say moving that, that invoice around the organization at the speed of a thousand gazelles, i.e. pretty quick. If, if, if you're doing that, yes, that's going to make it more efficient. That's going to allow you to free up your staff to do you know, more valuable things. If you're in a shared service operation, there's a lot of focus right now to free up folks to be able to do cross-functional activities, not just payables or not just receivables or not just order management, but effectively, this is a tool that these are tools to help folks um, do more, provide more value to the organization. The supply chain finance capability, really, for me, is is a it's icing on the cake, but it's a way for many of the organizations I've seen to demonstrate they can pay for this transformation, this innovation. And their savings were recovered in six months, even very often a year. You know, so there's, there's a lot of value to it, basically. 
Well, thank you to Dan and Vikas for being our guests today. Uh, if you have any questions or are interested in learning more about LSQ or Esker's relationship with LSQ, uh, you can find contact information in the show notes. Uh, and as always, if you're interested in learning more about Esker, you can find us at esker.com. Thanks for tuning in today, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you.